You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Well, we are continuing our I Am series. We started this last week with exploring the seven seven I Am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And what we're really asking through this series is one question, who is Jesus the Christ? Who is he? Who is Jesus the Christ? And so we're using these seven I am statements that Jesus tells about himself to help us answer that really important question. And uh, there was a study that I read this week out of the UK, which I think really reiterates why we should be answering this question, why we should be thinking about this question, because a lot of people are not asking this question or thinking about this question. There was a survey done, a UK study in London, so not necessarily our backyard, but across the pond, and they questioned 500 college students, asking them what their beliefs were, if there was a God or there was not a God. Out of the 500, 498 of them didn't think there was a God. 498 of them. So there were only two that claimed, yes, we believe in God. I think that this is a, a sentiment that I would say maybe isn't as extreme in some of our universities, maybe not up the hill are we to that point, but I feel like as a society, we are going to that point. That we are getting to a point where we're going to see less and less people understanding being able to answer the question of who is Jesus the Christ, which is why I think it's so important that we have a solid answer for this. That we have a solid answer around what Jesus tells about himself because our world needs to understand who he is. In fact, there was another study done by the same group. A, A group of Chinese students were in London for about eight months. And this Christian group gets up there and starts asking them questions about Jesus, you know, who is Jesus the Christ, all of these things. And these students are shocked and scared. It looked like they had just gotten yelled at for the last half hour. And so they were kind of stopped and go, hey, why are you guys so surprised or shocked by this sentiment? Well, they thought that these Christians were cursing at them because they had never heard the words Jesus Christ without it being used in a derogatory way. So you can imagine that there is a, a sense of when you see, when you hear these words, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, that there are people who have no idea what we're talking about, which makes this, again, again, another important reason that we should know how to answer this question and keep it in the forefront of our mind is our world is struggling with this right now. Now is the time to know this, because when you ask the question of who Jesus the Christ is, what does this mean? We're basically, we're asking, what does it mean to know and understand God? Because as we looked at last week, to really know and understand the person of Jesus is to know and understand God himself. So as we look at Jesus, we're looking at how do we understand God? And so we looked at last week how he is our satisfaction. He is the bread of life. That in him, he is the prize. The things that, that our souls yearn for is found in what he is and who, what he offers in eternal life. And this week, we're going to look at a new one. And mainly, we're going to camp around what it means that he is the light of the world. The light of the world. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn or tap in your phones or your, the app, I think, has it as well. To John 8, we're going to be looking at just two verses today, verses 12 through 13. Jesus is speaking to a crowd in Jerusalem during one of the many festivals there, and this is what he proclaims to them. Jesus again spoke to them, I am the light of the world. 
The one who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So I want to start by understanding and talking about the word darkness. The word darkness. I think this can resonate with with all of us. Right, this, this terminology, this imagery that the Bible teaches darkness has carried through generations, through thousands of years to us today. It's the same connotation as it is to us as it was to them. This is something that has been influenced into our culture, into our society, into our language itself. And one thing we need to recognize, and this may seem very obvious to a lot of you, but I think it's really important that we just highlight this, that darkness is a reality. Darkness is a reality in our world. The imagery of darkness is is things of of evil, abuse, death, suffering. Something that makes us very uncomfortable to talk about, mostly in church at times. This idea of of, that there is a, a wickedness and evil and abuse and death in this world and more often than not, we don't like really incorporating that into our, our walks, is this idea of, of walking a life that recognizes the reality of darkness. In fact, there's a, a really interesting story that I heard this week of a young girl, she was about 13, and she was given the assignment at school to learn about her birth experience. Now, I don't know why that was a project at school. That would be a strange project to give a 13-year-old, but that was her assignment. Go talk to your parents and ask them what that experience was like. Well, she went to her mom, and her mom was very uncomfortable with that question, and she didn't know what to do. And so she says, well, honey, you know, when you were born, a a giant bird came and and dropped you in a basket in our backyard, and that's that's how you came to be. She, She kind of was like, I don't really want to go into the fullness of it, which if you've been in the room when babies are born, you can kind of understand why. Well, and then she goes, okay, well, what about, what about you? And she says, well, grandma's house, there was a big bird, and it came and dropped me at grandma's front step. And so the girl goes back to her class and reports, and she says, well, my family, we haven't had a natural birth in three generations. <laughs> As you can imagine, the teacher was a little confused by that. We don't love being uncomfortable, and we really don't love, often we don't love really telling the reality of things when we are uncomfortable. Just like the mom was like, I don't really feel comfortable sharing the extensive graphic nature of childbirth with my 13-year-old. We tend to kind of figure ways around it. And I really want us to to recognize today and first off that we should not do that. That we should recognize darkness as a reality. Because when we don't recognize it, what happens is we disassociate from it, we suppress it, and we pretend it's not there. You know, the Bible does not hide the reality of the darkness of this world. You could read from Genesis to Revelation, you'll have a very solid, well understanding of what it means to live in darkness in this world. What it means to to see darkness, what it means to experience wickedness. And we can inadvertently create a bit of a fantasy around us where we say, hey, you know, we don't really want to talk about the darkness. It makes us uncomfortable. And so we're just going to kind of create a, a fantasy bubble around ourselves and say, we're going to talk about nice things. Look at the nice things rather than some of the darkness in our world. 
And when we do that, we risk playing church rather than being the church. We risk playing church rather than being the church. In fact, I have a good demonstration. Our kids' ministry has these blindfolds. I don't know why. <laughs> Probably for playing games. But, you know, when, we're, when we refuse to look at darkness as a reality, we as a church and as a people can often disassociate and pretend it's not there. So if... Sorry. Sorry, Michael. <laughs> if I am blindfolded, and I hope I don't fall off the stage right now, how perceptive am I to the wickedness and evil of the world? I'm not. I'm living in my own kind of fan. All I see are two bright lights coming through this, this dark mask. You know, I'm not going to be very helpful to anyone who needs help, am I? I am not going to be very perceptive to the needs and, and desires and hurts and brokenness of this world if I continue to wear this mask. Continue to, to be blindfolded in the darkness because I can see absolutely nothing right now. You know, the, the here, I'll take this off because as comfortable as that was for me, what happens when we, we blindfold ourselves and disassociate and pretend darkness is not a reality is one of the main reasons that people actually leave the Christian communities. They will actually depart and, and walk away from Jesus himself because they weren't acknowledged in their suffering. You know, it's hard to acknowledge someone in their suffering when you have this mask on, when you refuse to look at it, when you refuse to see it, when you refuse to say, hey, you know, I'm going to pretend that's not there, either in themselves or in you. And that has done a lot of damage in our world when Christians decide that, I'm, that they're going to wear blindfolds in the darkness, when they refuse not to look at it and pretend that it's not there. Oftentimes, often people are given religious taglines, things like, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. Good luck with that. Out the door they go. Or, hey, you know, it'll just be okay. You should just pray a lot more and it'll all go away. You know, we, we get uncomfortable, so we kind of throw these religious cliche taglines out to people rather than just merely recognizing it for what it is. Rather than just recognizing that, yes, there is absolute darkness. There are things that we just do not understand of why this is happening to you, but we're willing to sit with you in it. We're willing to just listen to the pain and suffering that you're going through. We're willing to, to look at you and go, I will meet you in the darkness. I will sit with you in the darkness. I will sit with you in those pits of the pain. I will acknowledge and understand that this is a reality of being in this world. A reality of being in this world is that we experience the darkness of it. A great quote that I read from a guy named Andre Lunkoff, he said, to not have your suffering recognized is almost as unbearable, is an almost unbearable form of violence. To not have your suffering recognized is an almost unbearable form of violence. And that's what happens when we pretend, disassociate, and suppress the fact that there is darkness in our world. There is darkness here in this room. There is, there, it's, it's a reality of our world. People are going through suffering. People are experiencing things. And so it's important that we, that we as a people, just as Jesus does, just as the Bible does, acknowledge it as a reality. We see it. We recognize it. Because if we don't recognize the darkness, we will never appreciate the light. 
if we don't see the, the darkness as a reality and recognize it as a part of our world, we will never appreciate the light. Because if you were to, to live a life blindfolded, walking around, you're going you're gonna to bump into a lot of things, you're going to get hurt, you're gonna, there's going to be things that, that happen, but there is a, such a relief when you can take that blindfold off. It's like now trying to navigate a dark room, there's a, there's a sense of relief when someone flips the light switch on, you go, oh, it's, I give clarity. There's, I don't have to stub my toe on furniture anymore. There is a sense of, of, of exposure that gives us clarity. We don't want to live covering our eyes to the darkness. And so now I'm going to make you really uncomfortable. You ready to be uncomfortable? Because I'm going to talk about some of the darkness. Because these things are things that we need to look at. These are things we need to realize are real. Because these are things that as believers and followers of Christ that we should bring life into and speak and oppose in some way or another. Here's some statistics of, of some of the darkness that we deal with in our time and age. And it's going to make you uncomfortable because it made me very uncomfortable as I wrote this. And it's even hard to, to say it. There are people, there are more people in slavery now than any other time in the history of our world. Most of these are children. That should make us uncomfortable. We are living in a time when the average age of self-harm is 12 to 13 years old. That should make us uncomfortable. One in four women and one in seven men live in abusive relationships in the United States. Look around you. How many are one in four and one in seven in this room? That should make us uncomfortable. Wars in our world consume tens of thousands of lives around the world with mostly the innocent paying the ultimate prices. Darkness is a reality. You know, some of my hardest days in ministry, some of the darkest things I've ever experienced was when I've had to sit with widows whose husbands OD'd in the next room and I have to shield their eyes from seeing the bodies removed from their rooms. Darkness is a reality. Darkness is real. It lives and lives among us. We cannot be a people who shield our eyes, cover our eyes, pretend it's not there, or try to live in kind of a bubble of, of fantasy. God did not do that. Jesus did not do that. He, he recognized the darkness of the world. He gives it description. God gives us clear distinction of what it does, the consequences of it, and it's all spelled out in the Bible. It's uncomfortable. We don't like looking at it. We would prefer cover our eyes and just pretend it's not there. I know that. I feel that. In my soul, I feel that at times. But we cannot do that. In order to understand this passage and understand what Jesus did, we have to recognize that darkness is around us. But the most important thing to recognize is that we have not been left alone in the darkness. Because darkness is real, but we have not been left alone in the darkness. And this is why what Jesus says is so impactful. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Our God is unique than any other God that's, that's ever been spoken of in this world because he, more than anybody else, any other pagan God, any other, other lowercase g God that has ever been spoken of because he truly understands the human condition. He truly understands the experience of living in a dark world and experiencing the effects and the realities of it. In Jesus, we learn that we have a God who doesn't disassociate or is unfamiliar with the sufferings of the world. 
In fact, he partook in the sufferings of the world. He understood what it was like to have an empty belly. He understood the anxiety of not knowing where he was going to sleep that night. He understood what it was like to to not have a family who believed in him, as most of his brothers didn't accept him until after the resurrection when they go, okay, I guess I'll follow you now. I guess what you were saying was real. He understood the sufferings of the world. He saw it. He experienced it. He partook in it. He didn't disassociate from it. He made it a reality. He didn't live blindfolded away from the suffering. He didn't shy away from what he was seeing. In fact, he took action to help ease the sufferings of others. He knew well the effects of darkness and all its brokenness, abuse, and death. You know, we think about stories um, like the shortest Bible passage in Scripture is, is what? Jesus wept, right? He understood the, the, the consequences of the darkness of death. He, he understood the pain of death. He understood that there was a friend of his who had gone through that experience, that his sisters were going through that experience, and he wept. He understood the brokenness of it all. Even though he knew he was the answer to it, he still understood the reality of the darkness. He didn't try to cover it up. He didn't try to say, you know what, everything's going to be fine. He said he wept, and then he took action. This is what makes the Christian God so unique. And our God, who, we have fully, who, ha, who has a full understanding of what it means to, to experience the darkness of our reality. Knowing all of it, knowing all of the darkness, our God entered into it. That is a, a think about that for a minute. Our God who, who saw it, who, who witnessed humanity going through it, who I think, you think about the pagan gods that were around, the Greek and Roman gods, they were very disassociated from it. And so to have a God who said, you know what, I'm going to enter into it, is something completely radical to the concept of who God is. You know, there's a, there was a great story I like that you have these Christian missionaries who are, um, Read, they're feeding kids on the border between Afghanistan and Pakistan, and there is a, a slight trail, kind of like a railroad line, that they, they would walk because there was landmines on the left and landmines on the right. And so they had this thin trail that they had to walk between village and their, their headquarters. And it was about a two, three-mile hike into, in and out of there. Of course, you had the, the Taliban on one side that you didn't want to run into, and then you had some of the Pakistani guards on the other that you just, just you know, could, may or may not get you through. And so there was a lot of fear when you're walking into this situation. You make it worse, they're walking on this road, and there's a giant sandstorm that comes through. And I don't know if you've experienced sandstorms, but the way they, ex- they describe it is that well, you couldn't even see the, the hand in front of your face. It was so intense. So imagine that you're on a thin road as it is, you have landmines to your left and right, and you can't tell which direction you're going. That's not a good feeling, is it? I think we can all put ourselves in that position and go, this is uncomfortable. This doesn't feel good. But they still, for about two hours, they tried to slowly crawl through this sandstorm, trying to get to their headquarters. And they said that the only relief they found, the only thing that helped them was there was a a Red Cross truck that just happened to be driving on that trail and they saw the lights of it. 
And when they saw those lights, they began to weep because they understood that they were going to be rescued from the darkness. And when they asked the, the Red Cross driver how often he comes through there, is it once a day? How often? He says, I only do this trek about once every three months. And he happened to run into these missionaries trying to get back home. This is the image that I think of when I see about the light in the darkness. When Jesus says, I am the light, what he is saying here is he's a relief of rescue in the darkness. He is those, those lights on the Red Cross truck coming into those sandstorms, brightening it up, exposing it, and giving us clarity that we are going to be rescued from the darkness, from the realities of it. This is something that was foretold 700 years before Jesus even said these words. In Isaiah 9, 1 through 2, this famous passage, he says, but there will be, there, but there will be no more gloom for, who, for, he, for who, her who was in anguish, speaking of Israel and Judah. In, real, in earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali with contempt, but later he will make it glorious. He's speaking in the context of, of judgment. So, Israel and Judah are going to be destroyed by foreign powers because of their, their darkness. It says that's the consequences of their actions. But later he will make it glorious by the way of the sea and of the sea of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, saying there's going to be this light out of Galilee that is going to redeem and bring a, a glorious fulfillment to the nation of Israel. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. The promises that come through the darkness is what Isaiah 9 is prophesying here. 700 years before Jesus is speaking these words, he says, yeah, you're going to see darkness as a reality, Israel and Judah. You're going to experience darkness. I mean, if you think about the, the brutality of an ancient siege, I mean, it makes Hollywood's portrayal of warfare fair look like Barney, right? It is brutal beyond any comprehension I, stuff I couldn't even mention in our live stream would get taken down. That's how brutal Israel and Judah were going to experience darkness, but he didn't leave them there. He said, I'm going to bring a rescuer. I'm going to bring a relief to you from the land of Galilee. The people who were kind of the snow place was going to see a light come from this, this location. Rescue from darkness. The relief of being rescued from darkness. The light is there to remind us that we have not been forgotten or abandoned in our darkness. This is the important concept that the Bible and Jesus are teaching us is that we are never left alone or abandoned in our darkness, that there is always gonna be a rescue and a light. And Jesus says that that is encapsulated in who he is. Jesus claims to be an embodiment of the light, of the rescue that we are going to experience. And even better, and even more powerful, is that Jesus actually will enter into the darkness and rescue us. You won't find that any other place in any other teaching across our world where there will be a God who will enter into the darkness to rescue us, and we see that ultimately fulfilled in the cross. And what happens on the cross, we see the light revealed in the brightest way in one of the darkest moments in history was Christ hanging on a cross. 
On the cross, Jesus became the darkness of sin. He experienced it all for us and with us. Think about that. The God himself in the flesh chose to say, you know what, these people who have turned from me, these people who don't even want me, I am going to the cross to rescue them, to relieve them from the darkness. The suffering that that caused a Roman centurion, someone who had seen, I don't know how many crucifixions, to stop what he was doing and to realize what is happening before his eyes and say, surely and truly this is the Son of God. To recognize who he was by what was happening right before his eyes and the relief that was coming his way. We are reminded that our God didn't abandon us or look away from us. He entered into the darkness to rescue us. When we think about the light of the world, we're thinking about the suffering king, the suffering God who came and exposed the darkness, giving us clarity in what it means to experience darkness in this world, but to rescue us and pull us out of it. He didn't shy away from it. He went head on exposing it for what it was experiencing the darkness of death himself, but then through the resurrection, bringing about the beginning of a new life to a dark world. Now to the Greeks and Romans, this was a ridiculous motion, a ridiculous notion to think that their God would, would somehow die on a suffering cross, that he would, he would become those types of a, a, a posture of sufferer for the rescue of humanity. It was beyond anything they'd ever seen or comprehension they would have ever understood. In fact, we have a, a picture, one of the earliest renditions of, of Jesus on the cross. This was a graffiti that was written in Rome. In the, 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 in, the, in Greek, it says, Alex Menos worships his God. And you can see it's a, it's a form of, of teasing to Alex Enmos. It's a, it's a derogatory way of, of leading, saying, you, you worship this God. He depicts him as a donkey on a cross, saying, this is how ridiculous this notion is to our world. And Alex Enmos, with his arm raised, is, this is a sign of worship. He's worshiping his God. Our world thinks this is a ridiculous thing to do to worship a God who would go and suffer on a cross. They would laugh about it. The persecution must have been intense, especially for guys like Alex Menos. Yet this is who Jesus is. A God who entered into the reality of darkness, understood every aspect of it, knew exactly what he was coming to do, knew exactly what it was going to cost him, yet he is through his love for you and for us, he still decided to go through with it. Yes, he was afraid. Yes, he, he, he sweat. Yes, he was scared. But yet the love that he had for us compelled him to meet us into the darkness, to relieve us and rescue us. God doesn't wear a blindfold to our darkness. He sits in it with us so that he can rescue us from it. He is the light that suffered the darkness so that we too may carry the light in the darkness. This is a great quote by John Stada, a theologian, on why he worships the Christian God. Let me read it for you. He says, I could myself never believe in a God if it wasn't for the cross. The only God I believe in is the one 
that Nietzsche ridiculed as the God on the cross. Even Nietzsche, a philosopher, ridiculed this idea of, of God hanging and dying on a cross. In the real world of pain, how could we worship a God who is immune to it? I've entered many Buddhist temples in Asian countries and stood respectively before the statue of Buddha, legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, and a ghost of a smile around his mouth, detached from the agonies of the world. But each time, after a while, I've had to turn away and instead turn to the twisted figure on the cross. The nails through his hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorns, mouth dry, intolerably thirsty, plunged into God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity of pain and entered our world of flesh, blood, tears, and death. He suffered for us. That is who Jesus the Christ is. He is the one who meets us in our darkness. He is the one who is our relief of rescue from the darkness because he understands it. He experienced it. He defeated it on the cross, which is why the cross is called a triumphant victory. It's because it defeated the darkness. It defeated the death of this world. It defeated the sufferings, ultimately, of this world that we don't, even though we experience dark things in our world, we experience suffering, we experience these these consequences of our world, we aren't left in it. But because of Jesus, we can enter into his life. We can put our faith in him. We can put our trust in him. We can follow him. We call him king and Lord. And therefore, we are destined for an eternity away from darkness forever. Where in Revelation, he says, not even the sun will be our light, but that he himself will be our light. This is the hope and promise of every person who puts their faith in Christ is that while we experience darkness, it never has the last word. It never has the last say that we are to be rescued and relieved from it in Jesus. So in response to this, there's a couple things I want to, I want a couple types of people I want to address. One is the, the sufferer. I think it's important that you understand that he understands and sees you in your suffering. You know, I don't know what people are going through necessarily in this room. I know some of you who are suffering in this room one way or another. And I want you to know that you're not alone in that because it's so easy to think that you're alone in your suffering. You know, we have a community of people who want to sit with you in your suffering. We don't know the answers. I don't know why you're suffering sometimes. But I'm willing to sit with you in it. I know many people in this room are willing to sit with you in it. Not only that, but I know our Lord wants to sit with you in it. He wants to meet you in what the psalmist calls the pit, that he pulls our life out from the pit. He feels your emotions. He feels your fear. He feels all of the confusion and even the anger of the things you have to go through. To that person, I say, don't give up. Don't lose hope. Remember who Jesus is. Remember who he is. Remember the story of the Christian missionaries crawling on their bellies trying to find light and see in that truck ahead. This is a great image to hold on to for the sufferer in our rooms, in our midst. It's someone who holds tight, looking for the light, understanding that he sees you, that he knows you, and he's coming for you. To those who have never experienced this, this is a reality of our world. Just as suffering and darkness is a reality of our world, so is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. 
just so is the life that is found in our Lord Jesus. So often, darkness blinds us so much to the truth of this world. So many things that are promised to us that come out of selfish ambition or are fall on our faces because they aren't fulfilled. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the light of life. Jesus is the satisfier. Jesus is the one who rescues us from our pain. Come to him. Stop trying to do it yourself. Come to him. Be with him. Put your faith in him. Follow him. Live like him. Devote yourself to him. And you will see a life built that you would never have expected. A life built and established that you would have never even dreamed of before. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in countless others in this room. Across our, every person I've ran into can talk about this idea of, of how Jesus has changed something or transformed them in one way or another. Come to him. No, no longer do you need to live in darkness, but you can live in the light of life. And to us, the church, you know, we can easily fold ourselves up in the darkness and decide, hey, you know what, we're just not going to talk about the realities of our world. You know, we're going to cover ourselves up. We're going to kind of pretend these things don't exist. We cannot do that. We aren't going to help anybody by doing that. We aren't going to see the kingdom come by doing that because God didn't do that and Jesus didn't do it either. You know, in 2024, we're going to see some darkness in our world, just as it always has been. You know, we have an election coming up this year. That brings out some dark stuff in people. And so we need to remember that there are, there are, there are, we're going to see things. We're going to be exposed to things that are going to want to bog us down in the darkness. You know, we have wars and rumors of wars all over the place. Many of us probably don't even want to turn the news on because it's just too dark sometimes. Anybody there with me? I do that. We must not be influenced by it. We must not get bogged down in it. Remember these words. I think Martin Luther King says it really well. So here's my tribute to him after Martin Luther King Day this week. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. If we are going to be a people who who love, we must understand the reality of darkness, but not get bogged down into it, not become similar to it, but become something completely different, which is light and love into our society, into our community, so that we reflect the light of life that we walk with every day, who is Jesus the Christ. Let's take communion together. start with the bread here. As we, as we contemplate this week about Jesus being the light of the world, we think about partaking in his body. Remember that when you have put your faith in Jesus, when you've committed yourself to him, and you've called him Lord, you are partaking into the life of Jesus. You are called to something greater and deeper than anything else in this world kingdom coming into our world. So as we take this, I want you to think about this week with the Lord, just how you can be the light in your communities, your families,
your workplaces. Remember that you carry with you the light of life. Let's take it together. Then the cup. That he meets us in the darkness. He doesn't cover his eyes to it. He meets you there. He experienced the the suffering darkness of sin on the cross for you and for me so that we could be free from it. Ultimately and forever an eternal life found in the new creation, the new resurrection through the power of Jesus. So let's take this remembrance of that. I'm going to invite the prayer team forward. Now, if you need to respond to this as as I hope you will, if you'll stand for me, if you're able to, as we wrap up here, think about those responses. I don't know where you're at with Jesus, but I know that to do this life without him is incredibly painful. I've been there, I've I've tried. Today's the day where you, you stop doing it by yourself bring in the light of the world, a relief of rescue and who Jesus is. Let's pray. Father, I pray for those who don't know you yet in this room or online who are watching. Lord, I pray that you just grab a hold of them, that you speak to their heart and to their mind. Lord, that in their darkness, you meet them, that they're not, they can't climb out of it by themselves, or that you go to them, you reach out your hand to them and you pull them out of it. You show them who you are. You show them who they are in you. You redefine us. You recreate us. You transform and renew our minds. You are a powerful God. So I pray for those who are listening to these words who don't know that they will respond to these words. That they will say that they, are, that they come to you. That they put their trust in you, their faith in you. And they call you Lord. And they follow you the rest of their days. Father, I pray for our church, our community, Lord, that we are not a people who are afraid to to recognize the reality of the darkness of our world, that we're not afraid to talk about the sufferings and pains of this world, even though it can make us uncomfortable at times. Lord, help us to not live blindfolded to it, but that we recognize it, and we also realize and we know that you entered into it, that you did not leave us in the darkness by ourselves, but that you came and rescued us from it. And you have empowered us, your people, to carry that light with us as we follow you. That the people we interact with, the people that we, that we have influence with, that they get to see the light of life beaming through us. That they get to see you beaming through our lives. That they see rescue, that they see who you are, that how we live, how we walk this out, how we love, how we listen, how we care for people in our community, in our church. So start here with us. Make this a reality of who you are so we may live it out for your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.